a lot of this is so important to us, and we've chosen this time of year specifically to have this series. Uh, a lot of this we've learned from a pastor named Pastor Craig in Oklahoma, and it just is something we want to pass on to you because it's meaningful, uh, especially in light of the fact of what we are trying to accomplish as a church. It's a critical topic. Uh, because some of my best decisions in life, if I look at some of the best things that I have done and decisions I've made, I had friends who were encouraging me and who were propelling me toward that decision in a good way. But I also look at some of the most devastating decisions I've made, some of the most uh, stupid things that I have done, and guess what? I have friends who were just as stupid, and they were propelling me in that direction. That's just kind of the way it works, right? That's why this whole friend topic is so important. It has been said, show me your friends, and I will show you your future. I think there's a lot of truth to that. In fact, the reason why I believe that that's so true is because that's really what the Bible says. Listen to how the Bible puts it in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. It says, walk with the wise and you will become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. Don't we know that? That's true, right? We experience that. If we have friends who are passionate, hardworking, faith field friends who are pursuing Jesus, guess what? That's going to influence us in a positive way. If we have friends who are lazy and critical and self-centered, guess what? It's going to drag us down in that same direction. We've taught you that there's really three kinds of poverty. There's material poverty, which we are familiar with, you know, we understand that, a lack of money, but there's also spiritual poverty, but the third one that we've kind of focused on with this series is relational poverty. Because we in the United States have this desire to be independent. We have a desire to do things our way, my way, the way I want. And we approach our whole lives with that independent spirit. The problem is when we apply that to spirituality, that sense of independence applied to spirituality it's basically a non-Christian way to live. And the reason is because God has created us for relationships, even spiritually, for relationships, shared relationships. So what causes this, this relational poverty? Uh, there's probably tons of reasons, but let me offer you three possibilities. Maybe it's because we have such increased mobility in the United States and in, in the world. I, I mean, we're just never in one spot for very long. In fact, there are some people who commute 200 miles a day to do what they love and what they want to do, right? We're so mobile that maybe we, relationships kind of fall behind because we are on the move. There's another possible reason. We have such modern conveniences today, like great things like air conditioning, um, we have a garage door that will open and let us in, and then we punch a button and it closes behind us. And once it closes behind us, then we just kind of shut out the world around us, right? We move into our air conditioner homes, we shop online, we get everything we need to do, we bank online. 
We have an answering machine so that we can have caller ID and we can know who's calling to know whether we want to pick up the phone or not, right? So we live our lives in isolation. Maybe all of these modern conveniences are just making it easier to push people away. And here's another possibility. It's the rise in social media. And you know me, I'm a fan of social media. In fact, I use social media every single day. But it is possible that social media is creating an epidemic of deferred loneliness. Because what happens is I make a post, I upload a picture, I put out a tweet, and then I get immediate feedback. Someone goes on there and they like my post, they like my tweet, they like my picture. And for that moment, I don't feel so alone. But what it does is it leaves me wanting more because the reason is that's not a real friendship. There was no real interaction. Nothing really took place. And something is missing in social media. I I think we could even say someone is missing in social media. But today we're going to say this, maybe a group of someones is missing in social media. Let's look and see what God has to say about this whole topic today of friending. As we have the previous two weeks, we're using the life of David just kind of as a springboard into this topic. And let me give you some context of what's happening in David's life at this moment. So David has been anointed as the next king of Israel. He's not yet the king. He will be the next king when the current, the first king, dies. That's King Saul. But David has to wait until he dies. But until then, Saul is so angry that David's going to be the next king, and Saul's lineage is not going to be the kingship anymore. It's going to be David. He's angry. He wants to hunt David down. He wants to kill David. So the entire Israel army is searching for David. The king is searching for David. He wants David dead. David has been running, and some of this happening alone by himself, running away from the king. And here we find him running again in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. It says, So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. That's where he ran to. It says, soon his brothers and, and his, all his other relatives joined him there. See, his other relatives were afraid from the, for the king as well. The, the king was going to kill them. So they were all running. So David is there alone at first, but then he has some relatives join him. But listen to what happens next in verse 2. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. What happened is some of these, some other people just started showing up. Some people who were outcast, some people who uh, were hurting, some people who were down and just discontented. And something happened. God just kind of had them all begin to huddle together, to come together, to form, not, not to leave David alone by himself and not to leave them alone by themselves, but to bring them together into a group. And now it formed about 400 people. And you know, I was thinking about that. You know what that reminds me of? Of what was happening here right before David's eyes. He was kind of hiding all these people showing up at, 
It reminds me of a church start. Kind of reminds me of Stuttgart Harvest Church. Because we are all broken people who are kind of being drawn together and God is pulling us together and not leaving us alone. Kind of amazing. Something really, really, really good can come from groups of people who begin to follow Jesus together. And that's what we're finding at Stuttgart Harvest Church. Here's our bottom line. You're going to hear me mention it several times this morning, but here it is. In groups, we get better together. And sometimes what becomes a group of hundreds then needs to become smaller groups of people. And then the outcome, the impact of that group can become exponentially better. So let's look at David again. Here in this picture I just gave you, he's leading 400 folks who have been hurting, kind of outcast, drawn together. David becomes their leader. Over the course of time, David does become king. Then he leads hundreds and hundreds, then thousands and thousands, and then the entire nation, the entire nation of Israel. And from that, you would think that David had a pretty good group, right? Well, David, you can't connect to people in groups of hundreds and hundreds. It just can't happen. In fact, if all you're doing in Stuttgart Harvest Church is what we do on the weekend, on Sunday then that means over the course of all of our worship experiences together, then there are hundreds, and there's no way to have that connection, that personal connection with hundreds. And so in the life of David, now we're jumping to the end of his life, we see a picture of David not leading thousands and hundreds of thousands, although he is king, we see him connected to a smaller group. In fact, the Bible calls it his mighty men. There were 30 of them, 30 of his mighty men. But guess what? He even narrows it down a little more to three. Of that small group of 30, there were three inside that group that he really deeply connected with. They knew his life. He knew their lives. Let me tell you how the Bible describes them. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. These are the names of David's mightiest warriors. Okay, so they give us these names. Here's the first. Jeshobiam. It goes on to describe how Jeshobiam, it says, was the leader of these three men. Jeshobiam was the leader. And it goes on to kind of give some of his exploits of how he was a mighty, fierce warrior. So there was Jeshobiam, and then we find out, uh, actually, we're told about all 30 of these men from verse 8 all the way through verse 39. But the first few verses in this tell us about Jeshobiam. It tells us about a second guy named Eli, uh, Eleazar, and it tells us a third guy named Shema. And all three of those together become David's closest men, the men that he knew, the men that knew him. So having a group of 400 or having a group of thousands or having a group of hundreds, even having a group of 30, David narrowed it down and had these three men who knew everything about him and he knew everything about them. 
And I would propose to you that Scripture would support this comment. You are possibly one community away, one group away, one small group away from changing the destiny of your life. Because in groups, we get better together. As I began church planting in 2005, I studied and studied and looked and looked, and I I talked to, to pastors who had planted churches trying to determine what is it that makes a church start happen and what makes it successful, what makes it last for years. And so I looked at churches that were church plants like I was getting ready to do, and I looked at them and I said, okay, well... I want to look at the ones that have been around for 15 years, maybe 20 years, and I want to know what is the secret that makes it last, that makes it happen. And over and over and over again, I heard this phrase, something similar to it. The secret is this, long-term relationships. Long-term relationships inside the church. So we've been in the Old Testament with David. Let's jump into the New Testament and see what does the New Testament have to say about long-term relationships in small groups of people. So we're going to be looking at the book of Acts, which is really a famous passage about the the starting of this thing we call the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says this, These people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they would break it down. They would take what the apostle taught, and they would come together and break it down and figure out, how do we live this? How do we make this something that's in our lives that we can live out? How do we take God's word and put it into our life, our everyday living life? That's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship, which means they just, they lived lives together. They didn't live in the same house or they didn't live in the same neighborhood necessarily, but they, they lived life together. In other words, when one person had a celebration, they all celebrated. When one person had something tragic happen, they shared that together. So that person wasn't alone. So they had the good stuff together. They had the bad stuff, the tough stuff together. It says, They also did this. They were committed to the breaking of bread, which, you know, I'm just going to be honest. This is my favorite part. I'm a fat guy. I love food. I I love it. And they committed themselves. So here's what happens. These people had refrigerator rights with the other families that they were in a group with. So if you were in their home, you just had the right, you could go to the refrigerator. And they, so they they were, they were that comfortable with each other. How fun is that? Although they didn't have refrigerators, but whatever they did have, they shared it. That was a good thing. And then it says they they devoted themselves to prayer, openly praying for each other. Why, Why do we pray for each other? Why? Here's why. Because back then they were fighting lions, right? And guess what? We're still fighting those lions today. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, for us, for you and for me, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. And here's why. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I got to thinking about this. The truth of this, that the enemy wants to take you out and he wants to take me out. And how do the lions function? The lions are looking around trying to separate one from the pack. 
trying to separate one from the herd, trying to separate one from the group. And if he can get them separated, then he can devour them. Because they're looking for someone who gets separated. And then what happens? We're all, we all have moments of weakness, don't we? We all have moments where we hurt. We have moments where we struggle. We have moments when we're down. And if we are alone, separated from the group, or in this case, separated from the pack, if we're alone, then we are just there, waiting to be devoured by the evil one. Why do we pray for each other? So that we can stay close to the group, so that we won't get separated, so we won't get isolated. It is so tragic for me to see if someone, if all they do is experience what we do on the weekend, we have hundreds, and it is impossible for hundreds to operate like a small group. In a small group, you can be intimate with each other's lives. You can know what's happening. You can know their hurts. You can know their struggles, and they can know yours. But when there are hundreds, we can't know that. It's just too big. And if someone never gets involved in a group, then here's what happens. The evil one keeps them isolated, but they think they have intimate, deep relationships here. But the problem is we can't in this size of an environment. And if he keeps them isolated, guess what happens? Something tragic happens in their life. Something, something brings them down. Something hurts them. Something pushes them to the side of life, and they are hurt. But if they were never involved in the smallest group, those groups that get together and they meet, they pray for each other, and they encourage each other, they talk about how they can take next steps together. If they're not involved in that, then the chances are if something happens to them, we may never know it. And they may fall through the cracks. And we may miss. And they, and they, say, they look around, they say, where are those people that said that they were committed to me? And the problem is they never committed to the group. They never committed to the environment where they can find relationships over the course of time that they can connect with, that can help hold them strong when they get knocked down. And in that case, the lion devours them. We're passionate about helping people develop these kind of relationships. Let's take another look at another verse in that same passage, verse 44. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. You see, we struggle with getting together because we feel like we don't have things in common with other people and we struggle with trying to meet new people and trying to be vulnerable because we are so independent. We struggle with that, but here's the secret. If we can push past that awkwardness, and get involved, then this begins to happen. The more time we spend with someone, the more we find we have something in common. It just happens. When we spend time with someone, we find we have something in common. We have to push through 
the awkwardness. And what will we find at Stuttgart Harvest Church? If you give this a shot, what will you find that we have in common? You, you may find other things, probably will, but I can tell you one thing for sure that you will find. We all have in common is we are flawed. We have messed up. We have made mistakes. And you will find that. In fact, if you don't find that, if you don't believe that you have messed up or made mistakes, I can promise you, you won't be at Stuttgart Harvest Church very long because we're pretty open about it that we are all messed up and we have all messed up. We are flawed. But listen to what the Bible says about us flawed people. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. This is what we're trying to do in groups. Accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You know what that's saying? It's saying, Jesus accepted me, even though I had blown it. Even though I have messed up, he accepted me. He died on the cross for me. And if I simply believe that he really did that and three days later he rose again, and if I give him this life and say it belongs to you, you have purchased it. If you will do that, and you can do it right now, right where you're sitting, if you will do that, then that means he is yours. You belong to him and he will never let you go. It means you're becoming a Christ follower. You've been following yourself and now you're going to follow him. And you know what? He accepted you and he accepted me at my worst. And guess what that means? Because he did that for me, then I can look around me and if I have friends in this church who are struggling, it means I can accept them too. Because we are all flawed. We're, we've all messed up. We have people in our church who have addictions. They're fighting addictions. They're battling addictions. We have some people who, who are winning in that battle. We have some people who are failing in that battle. But guess what? We are all flawed. We have all messed up. We have people who in our church who struggle with pornography. We are all flawed. We have people, families in our church who are struggling with how do we discipline kids? How do we raise our children? We're having trouble. We're having struggles. We have people in our church who have grown up in a family where they were neglected, where they were abused. We have people in our church who find it very hard to be supportive because of what they have experienced in their past. We have people in our church who struggle with materialism. We have people in our there's probably not a struggle that is common to man that we don't have represented in our church. Why? Because God has drawn together flawed people and, and we are imperfect, but we are worshiping and serving and following a perfect Jesus who died for us because we are flawed. You're going to find we have in common a church of people who have made mistakes. But we are growing one step at a time more of what Christ wants us to be. 
That's what you're going to find. Look at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple. Every day they met together. And that's kind of like what we do here on, on Sunday. We meet together as a whole group. We have, we have to divide it into several worship experiences. We have uh, people in this room. We have people worshiping with us. You who are in the theater beside us, you are there. You are worshiping. We have people who come at 930. This all forms up Stuttgart Harvest Church. We're all worshiping together. The church came together in the temple courts. And then look, look what they did next. They kind of divided a little bit smaller. Then they broke bread in their homes, the different homes. They would kind of get into smaller groups and, and meet together in these smaller groups. Because some things can happen in a smaller group that cannot happen when we meet together as the big church. And we have a goal at Stuttgart Harvest Church. To help you, to aid you in, in gathering together with a smaller group of people, maybe four, five, six, maybe seven families. If you added up all the children of those families, it could be maybe like 20 kids. And these families, they don't live together. They may not even live in the same town, but these families, they know each other because they come together in small groups face to face. And eventually, over the course of time, they know what's going on in your life because you share that with them. And you know what's going on in their life because they shared it with you. And they're doing life together. Maybe they work on projects together. They encourage each other to take next steps every week from what we talk about here on Sundays. You know, we've had groups who have done some really cool things. We've had groups who have chipped in to help pay for a funeral. We've had groups who have provided meals for, for a person or a family in their group that needed some help. Maybe they were struggling or maybe some, something tra traumatic or tragic happened and they were there to help. We've had groups who have baked cakes for celebrations with people in their groups. We've had groups who have purchased grave, graveside uh, headstones for someone in their group. We've had groups do some amazing things. Maybe we've had groups who have done Thanksgiving meals for people in their area. Groups who are looking to share love and concern and compassion with other people. Can you imagine doing life together? Maybe groups coming together to clean up after a storm, a group coming together to raise some mission money for a specific project, maybe a group who decides to, they have a, a, a teenager who doesn't need that car anymore, and so maybe that group comes together and they find a way to give a car to somebody who needs a car. Can you imagine having a group that might come together to help someone fund an adoption that was so very expensive, groups that liked each other, loved each other enough that they decided to go take a trip together? Everyone in that group serving God together some way on a Sunday in a serving team. Groups who are encouraging each other in their marriages, who are encouraging their kids to be everything that God wants them to be. This doesn't happen by accident. It's part of God's plan. It's part of his desire. 
Because as other people observe and see what's happening, do you know what goes through their mind? They think, I, I need that kind of encouragement in my life. I need that kind of love and support in my life. That's what I need. And this is how the Bible puts it in John chapter 13, verse 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It takes time. It takes being intentional, choosing that we will do life together and we will serve together. Because, you know, that's not normal. What's normal for us today is that we drive to work alone. We work out alone. We watch TV alone. We pray alone. We shop alone. And that leads us eventually one day to crying alone. And you know what God said? It's not good for man to be alone. You know, in the old days, I can say that. I'm old now. In the old days... You know what we did? We played outside together. We played sometimes in the streets together. You know what we do today? We're on the iPad alone. Something about our culture is killing relationships. Making it to where we don't even know how to grow a relationship. But we want to begin to help change that for us. There was a lady, her name was Yvette Vickers. You might know her, she was a Playboy playmate. There's, her picture's going to be up there eventually. That's not how I know her. Have you heard of the movie, The, the Attack of the 50-Foot Woman? That was her. Through the magic of Hollywood, she really wasn't 50 feet. I, I know, shock. But let me tell you about Yvette. This is what I read. She's best known for that movie, The Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. She was a B-rated superstar in her day. When she died, um, when they found her, she would have been about 83 years old. That was in 2011 in the spring. But nobody knows exactly how old she was when she died because she didn't have anybody in her life. She had pushed out all family. She had no friends. According to the Los Angeles coroner's office, the reports say she laid there dead for some time, probably over a year, but they don't know how long. She was kind of mummified. Her mailbox became full with letters and they began to yellow and deteriorate and they began to grow cobwebs inside of the mailbox. And so finally, a neighbor saw that a long time later. And that neighbor broke into the house and made their way through piles of junk mail and piles of clothes to an upstairs room where there was Yvette Vickers who had died. Lying next to the heater that was still on that had helped to mummify her body. Her computer screen was still on, a soft glow in the room from the screen. But there she was, isolated, alone. The only friends she had were some friends that she knew online. And they really weren't friends, they just knew each other's name.
because Yvette Vickers was alone. After the LA Times reported the story, after they found her, within two weeks there had already been over 16,000 Facebook posts and almost 1,000 tweets. Lots of people were talking about her, but nobody knew her. Nobody knew her. Certainly she received more attention in her death than she had in most of her life. We have a tendency to say, we should get together sometime. It's been too long. Call me. We say that, don't we? But we don't do it. We have an epidemic of loneliness because in our independence, we have lived life alone. And God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And part of his design for church is that somehow the church develop a way for people to be Involved, or the potential is there for people to be involved, to meet someone, a small group of people who can know you and you know them. Ephesians puts it this way in chapter 2, verse 19. It says, about the middle way down here, it says, So you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. Listen to now how it works. You are members of God's family. We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. Now listen to verse 21. We who believe are carefully, carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And that, my friends, is what we want to see happen with groups, small groups. Can you imagine being willing to do life with someone else? Someone who is following Jesus as well. We are stronger together. In fact, in groups, we get better together. This morning, our next step is simply this. We're asking you, will you sign up for a group? And every time groups are offered, three times a year, will you sign up each time and be a part of a group? We're not promising you that that group is going to solve all your problems. It's gonna, we're not saying it's going to answer all of your questions. We're just saying by staying involved in groups, it gives you the opportunity to come into contact. And our hope is that over the course of time, you are able to locate three, four, five people, six people, seven people, maybe 10 people. If we were to be so fortunate over the course of time, these people that know us intimately and we know them, they know when we're hurting and we know when they're hurting. We celebrate life's victories together 
and we walk with each other when life is tough. That's our hope. And will you begin that process by signing up and being part of a group? That's our encouragement. That's our next step today. That's the only one. If you're realizing that you've never given yourself to Christ, you can do that this morning. It's a simple thing. Because really, before we connect to other people, may we first connect to Jesus. And we do that simply by understanding that Jesus died on the cross for us. Three days later, he rose again. And now, because he died, he has purchased my life. And I say to him, Jesus, you can have my life. I give it to you. I was following me, and now I choose to follow you instead. If you're doing that for the first time this morning, there's a place on the back of your connection card under the next steps where you can write that down. You can mark that box that says, I'm choosing to become a genuine, a real Christ follower today. Our hope is that you will follow Jesus and follow him straight into a group. Let's pray. God, you told us, that everyone around us will know that we are following you, that we are your disciples by the way that we love and encourage these people in our groups. And God, we pray that you would help us to understand that for ourselves, that we would experience that for ourselves, and in turn, that people around us would be drawn to you because of what they see happening in our groups. And we give you our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.